just keeping it here in North America, it would be a crime. It has to go everywhere. Every kid should be able to experience this, this foundational building block, this new type of education that will go further than just sitting in a classroom or watching a YouTube video and learning how to cook. It's going to go way beyond that, and it's so important that it, it goes everywhere. A good kitchen produces good food, but a great kitchen brings people together. Welcome to Meet Me in the Kitchen, a podcast inspired by Little Kitchen Academy, exploring the key ingredients to a meaningful life and how they are changing lives from scratch. Here's my dad and your host, Scott Rintoul. I'm not sure growing up has ever been easy, but I know for certain it's not easy right now. Children are dealing with an unprecedented number of options for their attention, many of which we don't fully understand as parents, quite frankly. The great news is that this generation also has access to a much wider array of opportunities than previous ones, meaning we have more tools than ever before to positively impact children during the most impressionable time of their lives. Little Kitchen Academy is a perfect example of that concept, utilizing cooking as a means to foster traits such as independence, creativity, and self-belief. Now, there are a lot of avenues through which a child can acquire those characteristics, but as the young woman you're about to hear from explains, there is so much power in forming those qualities around something as essential as food. Michelle Marin is well-traveled, very knowledgeable about fitness, and a recent graduate of the dietetics program at the University of British Columbia. Fortunately for us, she found a little bit of time before embarking on her new career to meet me in the kitchen. Enjoy. Dietetics. A lot of people don't know what that is, but you seem very confident about what you've chosen and how you got into it. How did you develop an interest in becoming a dietitian? It all started when I was in the young, tender age of 15. And I personally had a, grew up with a really bad relationship with food and myself. And I restricted what I ate for a lot of years. Um, I had a lot of pressure to look a certain way, not really by others, but more so myself. And I didn't eat a lot for, for a very long time. And I felt terrible. And I was really sad a lot. <laughs> and then when I was 15, I was diagnosed with depression and an eating disorder. I started seeing a therapist, a dietitian, and a personal trainer. And like, what do you know? After I started, you know, nourishing my body and seeing food as fuel, I started feeling a lot, a lot better. And I did so much reading about the importance of food, and I wanted to help others do the same. I know that it is, has become a really big problem nowadays where food is kind of seen as this enemy and I, I want to be a part of changing that and you know helping our younger generations or even older generations to be honest start kind of changing that perspective on food and starting to see it as a more fuel source rather than something to be scared about. That's a really refreshing approach. You said that you felt pressure to look a certain way, to eat a certain way, but that it didn't necessarily come from those who were close to you. Where do you think that pressure comes from, Michelle? I think social media, just media in general. I think, you know, 
having not a lot of diversity of bodies in TV shows and even in TV shows, there's always kind of like a reference to fat phobia in some sort, some way or another. It made me feel like, oh my goodness, if I become fat, then I am a lesser human. And like, this is not the case, but it became such a fear of mine. And when I started, you know, hitting puberty and I started gaining weight and I, I was feeling, my goodness, all of my friends are skinnier than me. I, I, I need to be skinny as well. I have bigger hips and it just, it wasn't where my body wanted to be. And so forcing my body to, to go in that direction, just wreak havoc on my body. It just made me feel like I had to look a certain way and that wasn't where my body was at. So uh, when you look at all the advertisements you get on the same type of media, you get the two, two things, right? One, eat McDonald's and eat all these highly processed foods. And then the other side, it's don't eat anything, look a certain way. And it just becomes very conflicting in one's mind. And so you start seeing stuff like McDonald's and chocolate as an enemy because it's not going to get to you where you want to look. Even though that's not the case, it's not an enemy. I personally eat McDonald's all the time. <laughs> so having that conflicting perspectives or messaging in the media will just lead to a lot of confusion and a lot of ideas of what, sh what your body should look like and what it shouldn't. And that led to the, all that pressure in my head of just, I have to look this certain way. I have to see food as an enemy. And then one thing led to another and there I was. I can understand it. Maybe not from having been in your shoes exactly, but I have two young daughters, so I'm keenly aware of this. And my oldest daughter is eight going on nine later this year. And I can already see a little bit of pressure creeping in, even at this age. And I do think this affects both young men, young women, whatever you identify as. I think it affects everybody, but there has traditionally been more pressure on young women in this regard. Now, you used a couple of terms skinny and fat, which is a very traditional binary look at what people consider to be healthy or not. But healthy is far different than either of those descriptors. So as someone who does now have a very positive relationship with her own body image and the way she eats, how do you identify what healthy looks like, Michelle? Even the term healthy Using the term healthy, I, I tread lightly because maybe my, my answer a few years ago would be different than it would be today. Because healthy, the term healthy, people have a certain idea of what that looks like. And people have a certain idea of what habits that involve. But that's not necessarily the case. So healthy can come in a lot of different ways. And one thing that we all have to remember is not everyone has the same type of access to gyms and fresh foods. And their definition of healthy will be different than ours, especially here in Vancouver, where, um, you know, I am very privileged to be living in a city like Vancouver and have all this access to all these fresh produce. And we have an idea of healthy means buying fresh fruits and vegetables and moving your body like a certain number of minutes or hours every single week. But I think healthy for me, what that means or what that looks like is waking up in the morning and feeling good, feeling happy with where I am at in my life right now. And if I'm not, then taking action to make myself feel better. 
So whether or not that means, oh, maybe I've gone through a period of time where I, I haven't moved my body. Maybe I'm really busy with school and there were times where I wouldn't at all move my body. I'd just be at home 24-7 just studying and I wasn't, you know, happy. You know, my brain was like, I have to focus. But that's just where my life was at at that time. And that didn't necessarily meant that I was unhealthy. It just meant that's where my life is right now. And I'll, I'll, I'll wake up, I'll do what I need to do. And then, you know, I'll work on other things later. So at, at that time, I didn't have time to cook. I didn't have time to eat all of these fresh foods all the time. And that doesn't necessarily mean it's unhealthy. So I think using the term healthy, because there's so many ideas of what that looks like, healthy doesn't, it's not really a word. It's not really a a word that can really be defined in one certain way. Hopefully that makes sense. <laughs> no, I totally understand what you mean because it is very individual and it does depend on your circumstances. And another term we hear a lot in today's day and age is wellness. I'm not sure if you feel the same about that term or if you see it slightly differently. When you hear the term wellness, Michelle, what does that mean for you? I kind of use health and wellness a little bit more interchangeably because I kind of put away the way of using healthy, I don't quite use it as much in my vocabulary anymore. Eating healthy foods, and I say this like in quotes because it just doesn't have a certain definition for me. Obviously, as a dietitian, I'm going to be working in a hospital setting where there are a lot of people who are very sick. And you wouldn't necessarily define them as healthy because they are sick and they need that extra medical support. So yes, in that medical sense, there will be kind of a definition of healthy and that will be different than wellness. But I think for myself, really more so than anyone else, because I can't speak to everyone else's opinion and everyone else's life at this time. For myself, I think they do come in hand in hand because wellness I'll define as the same thing, waking up and being happy where, with, with where I'm at, whether or not that means I'm going outside and going for walks or whether that means I'm at home and working hard with my with my school they do come more hand in hand but for others you know in their stages of their life it, it will look different and you've made wellness and that happiness a priority in your life not only in your studies but you are also an instructor at Orange Theory. So movement is a big part of your life as well. How interconnected do you see food and movement? Quite, quite interconnected. I think, as I said earlier, my answer a few years ago would have been very different than it is now. And you notice, you'll notice that I'll, I'll tend to use the word movement more so than exercise. Because I think exercise, it seems a little bit more like a chore nowadays or a punishment. And a few years ago, I would have told you, oh, exercise is good for you because it has proven to show all these cardiovascular benefits and improve bone density and extend life and blah, 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 blah. And sure, while this is, is it's not false, it is, it is true, and this has been shown in a lot of research, I think movement is something that needs to be enjoyed. And because now it's it seemed like a punishment, like, oh, I have to go here because, oh, to the gym because I had... XYZ last night and I need to make up for it. It seemed like a punishment. And I don't think this is back to that happiness. It's not healthy. It doesn't make me happy to punish my body. And punishing our 
body that does all these amazing things like moving and running and running a little bit faster, which I refer to because at Orange Theory, there is quite a lot of uh, either running or power walking involved. And their body does all of these amazing things. And food is kind of plays into that because food is what gives our body that energy to do all of these amazing things. You know, carbohydrates are a great source of quick energy. Fat is great for metabolism because that's where we get all of those vitamins and minerals that allows us to break down those carbohydrates into an energy source. Protein is what helps our body's muscles recover. So like food, it quite literally is fuel. (laughs) As literally as it can get, food is fuel. But then moving away from that idea that exercise is, is punishment and more of something to be enjoyed, it allows us to take a mental break from what whatever it is we are doing, whether it's studying or working or, you know, I'm really into playing Sudoku right now and have some time for ourselves and watch our bodies do these amazing things. You know, Orange Theory is like a 60 minute workout. And at the beginning, as coaches, we'll be saying, okay, guys, this is what we're going to do today. And their faces are just like, oh my goodness, how am I going to get through the next hour? And then at the end of their hour, just seeing that self-confidence go up. My goodness, I did that. I can't believe I did that. I think that's what the role of movement is in being being happy and being well. It's that it builds that self-confidence and it allows us to see our body do these great things. It's a really good answer and there's a lot to dig into there. And it makes sense to me at this point of our conversation to talk about how you ended up meeting me in the kitchen and how you came into Little Kitchen Academy to begin with. How did you wind up there and, and what's been your experience so far? I found out a couple months ago, I was originally going to do my final rotation of my internship with the BC CDC, the BC Centers for Disease Control and Infection. And as part of my population public health, so we have three major fields that we need to try out during the internship. There's clinical, which is in the hospital, and then there's management, which is in food service management, and there's population public health, which is working with the population and working on public health. So I was originally going to BCCDC, and then I've found out a few months ago, I got an email from our dietetics program coordinator saying, hey, Michelle, I'm so sorry. They're not accepting any more virtual students, a virtual placement, because I was doing my internship in Abbotsford. So I was commuting every day. So I wanted something a little bit closer to home for a month before I started working. And so he asked if it was okay that I did it at the Little Kitchen because they've taken students before. And I was like, oh my goodness, yes, I would love to do that. So I I walk in through the doors, I meet Felicity, an amazing, incredible woman. And it was completely by chance that I ended up at Little Kitchen, but I'm so happy that I did because, you know, working with the younger generations and helping foster that positive relationship with food at an early age, it's something that it sticks with you probably longer than what they'll have experienced you know, in in their future, right? Because you build that very solid foundation and then you go from there rather than starting very iffy and confused and then getting even more confused as life goes on. So I think what Little Kitchen Academy is doing to create these positive relationships with food, and I think it can really go a long way with these children and with these students because they're so young and seeing them enjoy what they're doing, what they're cooking, using great ingredients and just you know, having that mindfulness aspect added into the whole idea of nutrition, I think will really help them 
build that positive relationship with food in the future. Well, let's dig into that a little bit because when you go through a program, and I'm glad to hear there are these co-op opportunities that you've had along the way in your dietetics program, but there's a lot of difference sometimes between learning the theory of something and then seeing the actual real world application to see if it works or see how it's actually being applied. So when you're in a little kitchen academy, what did you see in terms of creating that positive relationship with food? What steps did you see being taken? I think when you take an ingredient and instead of just throwing it into a bowl or chopping it up and cooking it and you know calling it a day, but taking an ingredient and really digging into, let's take a look at this. Let's explore these textures and these flavors and what that does with our food and our flavors. You start looking food as this is an incredible thing. It's gone through this entire lifespan. When you look at, you know, a thing that you can find in almost any pantry, like garlic or onion, right? It's just, it's a garlic and an onion. That's all you're really thinking. But then you start peeling off the layers and you're like, nature did this. How incredible, how beautiful, right? And then you're like, oh, wow. Like, yes, that is true. Like all foods have come from this initial state and it has traveled all this way onto our plate. Let's take a moment to appreciate all of it has done for us. And rather than villainizing food, let's enjoy it. So I think that is what Little Kitchen is doing. It, it's putting enjoyment back in food. And I think joy is really important when you're looking at food, because when you see a negative relationship with food and trying to remove it from your life and removing it from your body or avoiding it at all costs, then it's, it's like the, exactly the opposite of what Little Kitchen is doing, right? It's, it's taking it and being like, look at how incredible this is. Let's include that rather than let's take away all of that. And I think when the, the students are quite young and they start you know, exploring new foods, then they're more open to exploring other foods in the future. And when we think of, quote, quote, healthy eating, and when we think of, quote, quote, dieting, we keep thinking of taking foods away, right? Let's take away these ultra processed. Let's remove all of these sugars. Let's remove fat. Let's remove carbohydrates. Let's remove all of that. And all you're left with is like vegetables <laughs> and like maybe whole grains or something like that. But what Little Kitchen is doing, it's not saying let's take away all of this. Let's take away whatever other foods. It's let's include all of that. Let's fill our life with all of these ingredients. And then you don't even have time to think about the other things. It's, it's all about inclusion rather than taking away. And I think that is really important. It's what I personally have kind of used when I've been talking to to patients or clients during my internship when I was doing outpatients. It's stop thinking about, you know, ways to take away from your life. Let's include that into the diet. Let's include that into what you're eating regularly. And naturally, that will do wonders for you. You'll see those benefit effects. And I think it's a much more sustainable approach to this, quote, quote, idea of dieting. Well, and you mentioned a couple of words there that really feed into your philosophy that you described earlier in this conversation. You mentioned the word enjoyment and you mentioned the word fun. And those are really positive steps toward building a positive relationship with not only food, but cooking. And it would seem to me that the approach at Little Kitchen Academy is building enjoyment into that relationship. Is that what you've witnessed as well? Yes, 
100%. Seeing the children just with their bowls of food, yes, it's ugly, but they made it and they're so happy. And that's the thing, food, sure, we can take pretty photos of food, but when it goes into our stomachs, it's all going to look ugly. But it's the fact that we made it, and we made it fresh, and all of these ingredients are so wonderful, and they've come from all over British Columbia or even, you know, different countries, right? It's traveled their way onto our plate, and building that joy and being proud of something that you're, you've done and being happy to eat it, I think that's more sustainable. It's, it's more of a, a, like, live your life this way rather than crash diet, eat this uh, ver this very little amount in such a short period of time and see what where it goes. It's more of let's enjoy life. Like life is short. So why take away joy out of something that we do every day? There's that aspect. And then there's the aspect of habits as well and building, I'll use the word that we tried to avoid, but I'll say healthy habits. And I say healthy in the sense of that positive relationship that you've talked about here over the last number of minutes. And I'm wondering from either your personal experience or working with patients, how much harder you would say it is to break unhealthy habits in that context than it is to form them. I think it's so hard to unlearn, even with myself, right? As, as a, like, I've gone through the dietetics program. People would think, oh, she must have like the best relationship with food. And that's not true. I had to unlearn so many things of what, you know, media exposed me to, right? Of, oh, you have to eat this amount of calories or this amount of protein. This You have to limit these white sugars. And I'll find myself kind of stopping myself in my own thoughts, just being like, whoa, Michelle, like, no, <laughs> right? So unlearning things that you've been learning and it's been reinforced through media and through even just conversations with others, that is so hard. It is so hard to do that, and I have to pay my many respects to people who have been able to to unlearn and break these habits. And by unhealthy habits, what I mean is looking at food and being like, I have to restrict that, or kind of like this negative relationship is very difficult to unlearn because you have to unlearn and then you have to learn on top of that. But then after it's been in like ingrained in your brain to see it this certain way, it is just so hard to shift. And just it'll take years and years and years and maybe even it will never happen. But as long as we're mindful of that and are able to say, if I want to have that piece of chocolate, I can have that piece of chocolate. And you know what? I'm going to enjoy, enjoy it. It, it just won't come as naturally. But after some time, it'll become more natural. But having to unlearn and then relearn, I think it's just it's very challenging and there will be times where we feel like, oh, no, I've, I've backtracked all the way. But, you know, you have to just keep getting yourself back up and keep pushing for that positive relationship with food because there will be a lot of things that will, will try to take that away from you. And, you know, we have to just carry on and press on and keep thinking of being mindful of, of what it can do for you. Whereas in Little Kitchen, because you're, you're building that foundation from the very beginning, then it's, it'll kind of go the other way around, right? When you're building that really positive relationship and it's continuously reinforced mentally, then when you're older and, you know, you start getting bombarded by social media telling you a certain thing and all of that, then what social media will be trying to do is making you unlearn those positive relationships with food. And then that's going to be harder to do. 
you know, you'll have to unlearn those positive relationships that you've built with food. And that's just going to be equally as hard. So if we're starting out with that positive relationship with food in the first place, then it's just going to go longer and it's going to it's going to come more naturally rather than for people who have started out with that negative relationship with food and then having to unlearn that. So it's it, it's similar, but in the other way around. And what Little Kitchen do, is doing is getting it right the first time around. Which is why they use the phrase changing lives from scratch, because that's literally the mission of Little Kitchen Academy. And the other thing that often gets said, and you will see in the messaging of Little Kitchen Academy, which they are fully invested in, is saying that this is a vehicle and these tools are the key ingredients to an independent child. I'm wondering, as we talk about happiness, your personal views on the role independence plays in creating that happiness for people. I think independence is very important because with independence will come self-efficacy. And I think that is what Little Kitchen is teaching children, self-efficacy. Like, I can do this. And having that confidence that comes with being able to do something hard. And then I see this in Orange Theory too, right? Going into a class thinking, my goodness, I can't believe, like, this is going to be a rough one hour or, or three hours. And then coming out of it, the other side being like, I did that, right? I did it on my own. That's just going to build that, that self-esteem and self-confidence and it's going to take you far and it's going to build that happiness because if you look at Maslow's hierarchy of needs, <laughs> right, self-efficacy is I think like the second to top part of the triangle because that's going to go more than material possessions or, you know, having lots and lots of money and having a very nice car. And there's nothing wrong with that. But having that self-efficacy and that independence and and confidence that you can be independent, that's going to make you a lot happier in the long run. And a lot of those things are wants as opposed to needs. And as we talked about before, everybody needs to eat. Everybody needs fuel for their body or else it ends in a pretty quick hurry. And this is where I want to take a quick turn and talk a little bit about your diversity of work experience. You've just entered the field of dietetics and you're going into clinical settings, but you have worked overseas before. You worked in Singapore. How did that come about and what was that experience like? Yeah, so I'll just give you a bit of a background on myself. I was born in Mexico. I am uh, My dad is Mexican. My mom is from Hong Kong. So I was born in Mexico. I grew up there for the first six years of my life. And then my mom, you know, got relocated to Shanghai in China. And we were going to be there for two years. That ended up becoming nine years. So I grew up there. And then when I was, I think, 15 or 16 years old, uh, maybe even 14, my mom got a, a new job in Singapore. So we took everything and we went to Singapore. And then I graduated high school there before coming to Vancouver for university. So... That's how I ended up in Singapore. I loved it there. I love Vancouver more. I, I don't know what to tell you. It's amazing here. But yeah, so I, I, I ended up when I graduated high school, I, my school followed a January to December school calendar. So I graduated high school in December 2016. And then I was, well, what am I going to do for the next nine months of my life? So I, I ended up working at Starbucks <laughs> in Universal Studios in Singapore for six months before coming to Vancouver. Well, I'm really interested in your journey, and I'm actually quite jealous that you've had the opportunity to live in so many great places and experience so many different cultures, because we talked about how food can be intimidating for a lot of people, and people can have a fear of it, 
And I think that goes for culture as well and other languages. With what you're doing now and the experiences you've had in your life, what's your opinion on how food can actually transcend language and that perceived cultural difference? I think food is the staple in every single culture, no matter where you go, right? Food is something prepared in a family setting, for example, right? And you sit around the table or whatever it is you sit on and you enjoy food with the people that you love. And that will go across all cultures. And when we think of, you know, I'm going to go for dinner. What do I want? Oh, I want sushi or I want pizza or I want this and that. We're accepting other cultures into, into our lives by doing that. We are appreciating other cultures for what they have created over thousands and thousands of years. I love ramen so much. But when you look at the ramen and you break it down to that, the, all of those ingredients, you know, the pork, the noodles, the egg, the seaweed, like all of these ingredients all have had a journey. And the culture that I've, I've enjoyed, right, I'm enjoying another, another culture, right? And as a Mexican, people love tacos and, you know, I love it. And it, it brings people together because we start seeing like, oh, wow, like this different culture that is unbeknownst to me, I'm enjoying their food. And that's one of the reasons I love living in Vancouver is there's so many different cultures, so many new foods to try and so many new things to learn about. So although I don't speak Japanese, I can enjoy their culture through their food. And I don't know why. I think it's because I'm craving sushi right now, what I'm referring to, to Japanese food. But this can be for any other culture as well, right? So I'll have cravings for all types of food. And when I was living in Singapore, I love Singaporean food. And I'm happy that there are some good places here in Vancouver where I can, I can go back and I can have a, a Singaporean dish and just be reminded of where I spend a significant time of my life. I spent my high school there. And so not only can it connect us to other cultures, but it can bring us back to, to other times and other time periods of our life. And it has that nostalgic effect too. And that brings joy, right? Like, how can it not? You're right. And it's amazing how many times I've had the conversation with people. And I don't know if you've experienced this or not, but you ask somebody, what's the best meal you've ever had? And they start to go through their personal Rolodex in their head, their their catalog of memories, and invariably, it takes them to a bunch of different places that they visited as they compare this food versus that food and this experience that they may have had in a restaurant or in somebody's family home, and it really does show you how intimate that experience can be and, and the meaning that a meal can hold for people, doesn't it? Yes, I think it's incredible what food can do which is one of the, the reasons why we shouldn't take away from, from ourselves. We shouldn't take that enjoyment. It's such a big part of life. And it's so sad when I see people not enjoying food anymore because it can do so many things for us, not only fuel our bodies, but also you know, connect us with each other, especially in a diverse place like Vancouver. It's what connects me and you and me and someone else is through food, right? If I were to try something new, something different, I have made a connection there. And it can do so much more than just drain our wallet. <laughs> 
Well, and if you think about it, food is really what brought us together for this conversation, if we strip it all down. And it's one of the reasons that I'm a firm believer Little Kitchen Academy can work anywhere in the world. Because as much as we see differences in countries or cultures, when you come back to what you said earlier, hey, we all need food, we all need fuel, we realize that we're so much more similar than we are different. And the challenges that you may have in a place like Singapore or Shanghai or Mexico or Vancouver, they're very similar, which is why this mission that Little Kitchen Academy is on, I believe, can work anywhere in the world. Do you happen to agree? I 100% agree. I think it's so important what they're doing. And it would be sad to just keep it here in Vancouver or here in North America, right? Because they're doing incredible things. They're changing generations and generations and generations. And then their kids are going to change generations and generations. And it's going to create a ripple effect. And just keeping it here in North America, it would be a crime. It has to go everywhere. Every kid should be able to experience this, this foundational building block, this new type of education that will go further than just sitting in a classroom or watching a YouTube video and learning how to cook. It's going to go way beyond that. And it's so important that it, it goes everywhere. I wanted to thank you for being so vulnerable in this conversation and sharing your story with us here at Meet Me in the Kitchen on this podcast. And as you go through your journey now professionally, I'm wondering what gets you up in the morning, Michelle. Obviously, you have your own relationship with food, but you're trying to affect the lives of others in a very positive way. So what fills your sails? What gets you up? Knowing that I'm going to make a difference. It is what gets me up in the morning. That's what got me up in the morning when I was deep in a depression when I was 15. It is what got me up, just wanting to make that difference. And thinking like back then when I was 15, 16, just knowing like, oh, one day someone is going to, to tell me that I've made a difference, that is what drives me. Whether it's one person or a whole generation, just knowing that I can help in one way or another, it fills me with joy being able to do that. And I'm so grateful for the opportunity to be involved with Little Kitchen Academy. I'm so grateful to be involved with my current part-time job as a coach at Orange Theory because you know, I can make a difference there. Yes, it's only one hour of, of someone's day, but they came in thinking, oh my goodness, that's going to be hard. And then, you know, I helped push them a little bit further to, to see how amazing their body is and how, what it can accomplish. And I just love being able to do that every day. Is there a story that you hold pretty close to your heart about a time that you made a difference for somebody, whether it was a relationship with food or with their wellness and their movement? Is there something that stands out when I ask you for a, a place where you've made a difference? Yeah, there is this one member at Orange Theory in Abbotsford, and he had been trying to lose weight for a long time. So he comes up to me before class and he has some questions for me because he knows that, you know, I'm knowledgeable in the nutrition. And he says, do you have any recommended diets or should I try this or that? And I told him, listen, I'm a student, so I, I'm not going to tell you what to eat or what not to eat, but I highly want you to think about something sustainable. What will bring you joy? Is taking this and this away from your body, is that going to make you happy? Because you're going to be doing this for a long time, so why not make it the most sustainable and the most joyful experience? And, you know, he, he kind of left and being like, okay, I mean, that was kind of a weird answer, but whatever. But then a few weeks later, he comes to me and he says, 
wow, I've been including this and I've been kind of changing my approach with food and, you know, I've been feeling better, right? I have that energy to come to Orange Theory every day and it's just being able to know that, okay, he came to me confused and lost and not really sure what to do and I, I guided him towards that different direction of not going down that deep end of, oh, what can I take away from my diet until you're not eating anything at all, but more of enjoy what you're eating, you know, take a moment, enjoy what you're eating. And then actually seeing that difference a few weeks later in how he approached it. I think that 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 definitely stands out to me as what I've been able to do. And I'm so excited to see what else I can do in, in life. I have so many big plans for the future. And I'm, I'm very excited to be able to do something with that. I'm really interested to catch up with you a few years from now and find out all of the difference that you've made. But as we have this conversation here today, what does a great day or I hesitate to use the word perfect, but what does a day of happiness look like to Michelle Marin right now? Hmm, that's a very good question. My birthday was yesterday, and yesterday was definitely a very happy day. <laughs> happy birthday. Thank you. So I ended up working at Orange Theory yesterday, and I know it's work, but I definitely don't see coaching as work. It is just several hours of pure happiness for me. So yes, one of my, my perfect days would definitely involve coaching because it fills me with so much joy. It would involve obviously a sunny on the outside. It has to be sunny like yesterday. It would involve being with my family and my loved ones. So uh, unfortunately, my parents live in Chicago, so I don't see them very often, but they would be here on a perfect day. My family, we, we grew up, but we've gotten close with trying new foods, right? So it's a big part of our family history, you know, living in Shanghai and Singapore and trying new foods was, was a big thing for us. So we'd go and try one of, like a new restaurant and sit around the table and just being like, wow, I've never had this before, but this is, this is great. So it w would involve food as well. <laughs> it would involve working. I would love to get in an Orange Theory workout as well. I love doing Orange Theory myself. You should come try a class one day if you want. Because when I run that little bit faster or lift that little bit heavier, I feel so, so happy. So I would squeeze in an hour there too. <laughs> so yeah, I'd spend it with my family. I'd work a little bit. I'd move my body a little bit. And I'd eat some really good food. <laughs> nice and simple. You have a great relationship with happiness. And I'm really happy personally to hear that. It's awesome. Your energy is infectious and you're going to change this world. You're going to make a positive difference. Michelle, thank you very much for doing this. I think this conversation is going to help a lot of people. Thank you, Scott. And I'm, I'm very happy to be able to participate. I'm very honored. Meet Me in the Kitchen is curated and produced by Toolkit Content. You can find more information about Little Kitchen Academy, including classes, locations, employment, and franchise opportunities at littlekitchenacademy.com. What's the one ingredient that's always in your kitchen? 